Hello, welcome to Wit Beyond Measure. My name's Katrina Mayer. And I'm Elle Kammerer. And today we are talking about our final two Emma adaptations. This is it, guys. No more Emma. Nope, we are done with Emma. And I'm not going to lie, I'm kind of over Emma. So (laughs) I'm really happy for this. (laughs) I mean, yeah, like there were a lot of things that were really enjoyable. But yeah, I'm glad Mm -hmm. to be moving on. I'm ready to move on to something else. I know I Mm -hmm. told you guys I was going to reread Emma and I fully intend to do that. But that is going to come at a later date because... I have no time to read the entirety of Emma right now. That's a, it's a long one. It's really, really it long. So um, stay tuned. Well, and on top of that, like you guys have to remember that Katrina's a teacher and school is starting. School is starting, and things guys. are crazy. Yes. So she doesn't really have a lot of time. Um, so I don't blame you. And, and, and in all honesty, the real reason why I'm kind of just like, or let me put it this way. I think the reason why I'm over Emma right now is because like, I was kind of like, eh, I don't really care for it so much. And then we just kept reading adaptation after adaptation. Whereas like Pride and Prejudice, I just wanted to keep going because I love that book so much. Right. So it's it's less because I hate Emma and more because it just wasn't as engaging for me. Sure. That's so. understandable. Yeah. Because I did like the adaptation or the, the film adaptation. I was just going to say, so. the movies were fantastic. They uh-huh. were that. Oh, they were so good. All of them. All of them mm-hmm. that we watched. I... No complaints at all. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're going to talk about these modern day book adaptations. Yes. So Katrina, I believe it is your turn to start. So what did you read and tell us all about it? Sure. So I read Dear Emma by Katie Haney. I'm going to start off by giving you guys the synopsis. Basically... College girl gives advice but rarely follows her own, right? Think that little Mm -hmm. line in that Alice in Wonderland song where she's like, I give very good advice but very seldom follow it. Yep, Mm -hmm. that's our title character. Our title character, her name is Harriet, but her pen name is Emma. So she writes for her college newspaper. She has an advice column, and it's called Dear Emma. So that's kind of the connection. Let me tell you about the characters we meet, other than Harriet. (laughs) Other than Harriet slash Emma. She goes by Harriet, but you kind of think of her as her alter ego as well. So the book starts off basically with her being concerned that this guy is dead. And I'm like, this is not what... (laughs) I was like, whoa, this... I was expecting like a light read, and I'm like, what... (laughs) You're worried some guy is dead. No other context. Like, let me just read you the opening line, friends. The first line is, I guess what I am wondering is, is he dead? That's our you first know, line. I feel like Emma would have been better had there been a murder, maybe. Maybe. No murder. <laughs> nobody's dead. Um, Eventually, it chapter one continues on and you learn that Emma, or sorry, oh my gosh, I'm going to keep calling her Emma because, guys, we this is like the Emma season, and her name's not Emma, it's Harriet. Okay. If, Harriet. I, if I call her Emma, just know I mean Harriet. I'm going to try to yell Harriet. Thank you. So Harriet has basically been ghosted by this guy. That's it. And he's okay. like, total fuckboy. His name is Keith. 
And mm-hmm. in these opening chapters, it's kind of like Quentin Tarantino-esque, where like you see a bit of the ending, you flash back, and you come back to present, and then you flash back some more, and then you're back <laughs> in the present, okay? It is okay. It's like a lot of moving pieces. Um, but it opens up with her talking to her best friends and roommates, Mel and Logan, okay? They all, all the girls, all three of them live in a house together. Um, near their campus in Springfield, Illinois. They go to college in oh. Springfield, Illinois. So, so they go to... It's oh, the... just... Spring... I mean, it's not specifically mentioned, but there are names of buildings. I don't know enough about okay. any of, of any of the campus life there. I'm pretty sure there's a University accurate. of Illinois there. Well, I'm sure there, I'm sure there is yeah. too. I just, I don't know enough about it. I didn't, I'm sorry, I did not do the intense research of it, but you're, <laughs> you're really supposed to feel like it's a Midwest college campus. And honestly, like I was envisioning like, you know, where we went to college, even though it was in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. like I was envisioning that with a lot of the descriptions of the places she goes, um, or where I got my master's here in Illinois, very similar vibes. Wisconsin is the Midwest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you, you're, it's just supposed to be like general Midwest campus vibes. Okay. Um, but they are specifically in Springfield. Okay. So she's talking to her BFFs about this guy. They're like going through the text messages, which are minimal. Like this guy basically types one word things. Like he was texting her a lot. You learn from the past, like flashbacks. He's like really into her. They went on a day trip. They like made out a lot. Like he really liked her, all that stuff. And then it became less like the next week and then even less the week after that. And then like nothing. This feels a lot like uh, that flirting I was doing in college with that. It is. It's like every girl's (laughs) college experience, specifically undergrad. It is. Lots of chatting, like going out, making out, less texting, less texting, no nothing. Exactly. That is what Except this is. did she have to awkwardly see him when she worked yes, at the student union? Yes, because here's the thing. Oh my gosh, this is my life. <laughs> not the student union, the library. Okay. She works at the library and they have this class together. I wasn't together, cool enough Spanish to work at the students. library. Yeah. So like she sees him in class, she would see him sometime at the library. Okay. I also just want to point out the guy I was making out with was not a student. <laughs> this guy's a senior. <laughs> okay. She's a junior, so she's a year younger. Okay. Okay. So her BFFs are, like, trying to give advice, be sympathetic. That's what BFFs do. Um, Mm -hmm. Mel and Logan are, like, in the sciences. So Mel is going for, like, dentistry. Logan is, like, pre-med, essentially. So they're, like, they they are pretty much in their, like, science world, right? Mm -hmm. And then Harriet, she is, I forget her exact major, but it's the humanities, Mm -hmm. right? She writes for a newspaper. She works at the library. Duh, you guys. <laughs> if you yeah, haven't figured yeah, out she's yeah. humanities, there you go. <laughs> Only cool humanities people get to work at the library. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So we have Keith, the ghost fuckboy, right? We have mm-hmm. Mel and Logan, BFFs extraordinaire. And then mm-hmm. our final major character is a girl named Remy. Remy starts working at the library with Harriet at this point, and Remy is seeing Keith next. They don't know each other prior to this, you know. Harriet mm-hmm. makes the connection, but Remy does not know of the of what has happened between them, right? 
Okay. So, like, Harriet really struggles with, like, feelings of jealousy and resentment and all of that. Mm -hmm. She projects them onto this girl. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, throughout the novel, we see her thinking and her understanding of who Remy is and what her personality is actually, like, shame. Right? As she gets to know her, as she distances herself from Keith, and as she has these experiences with her two best friends. Okay. Okay. All right. So, obviously, we have our major characters, and then we have this love triangle, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of. It's not really Mm -hmm. a love triangle, but it kind of is between Remy, Keith, and Harriet. And then... Also throughout the novel, we get a lot of Harriet's interactions with her friends. Her and Logan, like, seem to be close enough in the sense that both Harriet and Logan are very straightforward people. Like, it's said in here that Logan will just tell you if you're being a bitch, right? That's just her (laughs) vibe. Like, she will Uh let you know. Um, Harriet is like... She needs, much like Emma, she needs to be involved in what's going on. She needs to, like, insert her ideas and her advice for other people. Not just in terms of her advice column, which, oh my gosh, her advice column, fantastic, you guys. You get snippets (laughs) of, like, letters that students send to her and then her responses back. And they're fantastic. And I wish there were more of them. (laughs) Because most of it is from Harriet's point of view. Most of the novel is from Harriet's point of view. And, like, she comes off, like, you know, kind of whiny, kind of annoying, kind of needy. Like, very much has to talk about Keith all the time because even though they knew each other for three weeks and he essentially ghosted her, it, like, had this big effect on her. Mm -hmm. You know, much like you do when you're an undergrad. Like, (laughs) I mean, do I see a lot of myself in Harriet? Maybe. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so Harriet, Logan, kind of similar, and then Mel. So Mel is the one who is dentistry, and Mel and Harriet really kind of butt heads in this novel. Um, they fight a lot at, at this point in their lives. They were really, really close, but, like, something has changed, where Mel is, like, kind of starting to stand up for herself a little bit more because she was, like, more quiet, more kind of like dizzy. Okay, maybe guy, maybe I'm Mel, guys. Maybe, maybe. Um, more quiet, like kind of like a little ditzy or not, not, not like always on the on par with things. Like she's smart, but like it takes her a while to realize like some kind of social things. And That's then not you. Then she's not <laughs> aggressive at all, and she like usually doesn't try to contradict or like be really assertive with people. But she starts to change that this year. So, like, her and Harriet start to butt heads a little bit. Um, So there is all of that fun stuff going on. And then also, and this isn't a spoiler, it has nothing to do with, like, what happens at the end of the book. But Mel does get a boyfriend. And... Does it solve all of the problems? No, (laughs) that's what creates the problems because she doesn't want to tell Harriet because Harriet's been like mopey and crazy about this Keith guy Mm. and she doesn't want to like make her feel bad, you know? But then when Harriet finds out, she's mad because like, A, I don't want to be pitied and B, like I'm your best friend, you should tell me and C, like all of these things. So it creates tension. does create tension. Right? So there's all of that 
And then you just really get like the, I don't know, for me, it was just like very nostalgic to read this. Like it felt very true to like my college experience, at least like not necessarily that I went through these things, but like Mm -hmm. I would hear people who went through things like this or like reading the letters that some students would send into the advice column and (laughs) her responses. It's just like, yeah, this is exactly how you think when you're in your early 20s. So, yeah. So that's the book. As you know, we have that love triangle. So what I won't spoil for you is like how that all ends up coming to fruition. I won't tell you what happens between Remy and Keith and then Harriet and Keith and then Harriet and Remy. Because as the novel progresses, Harriet starts to actually become friends with Remy, right? At first it was frenemies and then it turns into actual friendship. But things have to be like accounted for because obviously Harriet knows Keith and Remy doesn't know that they had dated. And keep your enemies close and your frenemies closer. That's exactly Harriet's point of view. But then it turns into friendship. And I will also say toward the end, Remy writes in to the Dear Emma column because Keith starts doing a very similar thing to Remy that he was doing to Harriet after a few weeks. And so her response is interesting, right? Because you think, oh, she has some residual feelings for Keith. Oh, she is interpreting this as exactly the same thing that they went Mm -hmm. through. Oh, she's going to respond how she should have responded, but didn't and make and kind of live a little bit vicariously through Remy in that situation. So how do you think, if at all, this book relates to Emma? It does not relate to Emma, guys. (laughs) That was one of my questions I wrote. Does it relate (laughs) to Emma? No, all caps, underline. (laughs) Okay, so... Just listening to your synopsis, and this could be all your fault and not the fault of the book, uh, <laughs> but I can kind of see how this could be related to I mean, Emma. Maybe the advice If you look at part. it in a certain way. Okay. No, not even that. Not even that? Okay, go so, for it. Tell me. To me, it kind of sounds like a modern retelling of Harriet's story. Okay, explain. Give me more. So Keith is Elton. Okay. And Remy would be... Elton's wife. Okay. But if she wasn't like a snobby bitch. Right. Uh, And Harriet is just like dealing with like her emotions and everything after the Elton situation. Oh, so like because we don't get Harriet's story in Emma, right? This could be like an exploration of what that would look like. In a modern setting. In a modern setting. I like that interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. And then like. Like, her friends could be, like, an Emma equivalent to her being there and helping her through it while also causing conflict and having their own lives. Getting a boyfriend and then not telling Harriet, that's what happens in Emma. (laughs) She falls in love with Knightley and then doesn't tell Harriet right away. And then Emma also, or sorry, and then Harriet also, her advice column being Dear Emma, and, like, that's Mm -hmm. where the Emma comes in. Like, even though she is the Emma like equivalent mm-hmm. in that she still doesn't like think or act that way when it comes to her own life yeah so like her advice column could be the emma character and she's not listening to the advice of the column even though it's coming from her because she's an alice right in wonderland kind of situation yeah 
Yeah. But I could totally see that, like, reading this through the lens of this is Harriet's modern retelling. Yeah. Okay, I like that. Now yeah. I want to read reread this through that lens um, because I wasn't doing that at all. I was just kind of reading it through the through the lens of Emma. Yeah. Well, and then if you think about it, like, because one of the things that doesn't seem to be in there is the whole, like, Frank Churchill, Jane Fairfax thing, mm-hmm. which makes sense because Harriet didn't really have a lot to do with that. Yeah. Maybe. But, yeah, it's like, like, Keith is an Elton, she's Harriet, there's this whole thing, and yeah. Yeah, I like that. Okay, cool. There are no references to the novel Emma in this adaptation. The closest that we get is that maybe two-thirds through the book, Harriet gets this letter from a guy who's, like, torn between two girls. Mm -hmm. One girl is somebody he knew from high school who he always liked, and she finally broke up with her boyfriend, and he's like, yes, finally I can be with her, and they, like, kind of hook up. The other is a girl he met here in college and like he's really into her and their personalities align more. And so he writes this letter, but he writes it in such a condescending way. He like gives them like pseudonyms like Eponine and Cosette and he signs his as Marius and <laughs> ambiguity. And he's like, I would hope that like, you know, I I know this problem seems probably like pretty, you know, out there and like kind of cliche but i hope my my references you being like into romance classics would appreciate the lameness like you know names and stuff in there so that's really the only passing reference we get to this being like the novel emma like just that Mm -hmm. little bit and of course he's completely off the mark and she writes this scathing letter back because honestly this, this letter it made me so mad. It was like, why <laughs> boy tell. problems? I like these two girls, and these two girls obviously like me. I'm so great. How do I choose between them? Oh, problem. And she's like, if it were up to me, please don't choose either of them and save them a lot of time. <laughs> so that letter was written by Frank Churchill, who is <laughs> upset because... He really wants to be with Jane, but he also kind of likes Emma. Yes, totally. Oh my yeah. gosh. Now I'm thinking that a lot, like going through the letters she gets in in throughout the novel, because there's not many of them. Maybe they are supposed to represent different characters in Emma, because one is about characters who don't have, she doesn't have a lot of money and her friends do, and she, she kind of feels left out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that could be Harriet, or that could be Miss Bates kind of situation. Or Jane. It could be. One of them. Because Jane has to spend all of that time with the with the who's the family that adopts her? My brain is totally fried. The, ch- the Churchills. The, right? No, 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 no. Oh, that's Frank no, Churchill. No, oh, Frank the, is a Churchill. The, the it starts with a C, though. It does, and I can, I'm thinking Coles, and that's not right. No, Churchill isn't right. No, Campbell. Is that it's it? the Campbells. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I think it's okay. a Campbell. Colonel Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. So she spends all this time with Colonel Mustard and his family. (laughs) (laughs) Specifically in the dining room with the revolver. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, uh, but yeah, no, that could totally be that. Obviously, I was supposed to read your book and you were supposed to read my book because like I'm seeing all these connections to to the original story in your book. (laughs) Whereas my book, you don't have to work that hard. To be fair, I read pretty much the entire thing. In the past three days. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I read most of it today, not going to lie. So I haven't really mm-hmm. had a lot of time to sit with it. So like talking about this now, I'm like, oh, yeah, here's all these connections. This <laughs> is totally it. Because I wasn't trying to like, I needed obvious connections. My brain yeah. wasn't there. <laughs> it wasn't ready to like <laughs> take the subtext. Um, so yeah, there's totally tons of interpretations, guys. Definitely yeah. take a look at it. Um, I, I want to reread it now just because of that. So, so do you yeah. recommend it even for people who aren't going to sit there and try to make the connections? Um, yes, I would definitely recommend this book. I would recommend it most for this particular age group. And that would be like late teens, college age to mid 20s. I think you might really resonate with like a lot of the things that are going on in this book um, in terms of like the characters and their relationships with each other and their experiences that they're going mm-hmm. through. But anybody could read it like anybody older like I got a lot of nostalgia from it I really really enjoyed it I like I said I saw myself in different characters at different points um so yeah and I just I mean they live in this like apartment the way it was described I like pictured our apartment that we (laughs) had like I pictured our campus like it was just it was really great um so in terms of what was a miss for me Like I said earlier, I feel like the tone for Harriet is very whiny, like, you know, Mm -hmm. because of that, like, vibe she has and, like, the age she is and, like, everything Mm -hmm. that she's going through. Um, And at first it's, like, kind of hard, especially when you're reading it in the beginning. It was kind of hard for me to read past that. I was like, oh, she's so annoying. Oh, she gives such great advice, but she says all of these things. Oh, I just wish there were more student letters or I wish she was just her (laughs) advice person. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. But then as you read it and as her character develops and grows, you you know, you do start to root for her and you do want to figure out what's going to happen next. And you want her to work things out with Mel and you're like, how are they going to work things out? And you, and she wants to come clean to Remy and like have a real friendship with her. It's like, how is she going to do that? And is Remy going to be mad at her? And like all of this stuff. So it gets really good. You just got to get through that like first initial part. Yeah. And then what I really liked about it, as I've said before, I loved the letters. Uh, I loved the student <laughs> letters and her responses. Like, I wish there were more of them in this mm-hmm. novel. Um, I thought they were really great. But now I want to go back and reread all of them and see see if I can, like, find all of the characters <laughs> in there. I think there might have been a Mr. Woodhouse letter in there, too. There you go. So, yeah. yeah okay. That's interesting. You know, I have a copy of this. Maybe I'll go through it, too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you liked yours. That's good. I did. I didn't think I was, I was a little worried first. about that one. Honestly, yeah. I didn't think I was going to like it at first. When I first started reading, I was like, oh, and I was like, <laughs> so, and it's mostly because I was really tired this week and I was like, no, I have to read this book, but I got really into it and it got really good. So yes, I do recommend it. Dear Emma by Katie Haney. Definitely. Mm-hmm. If if what I've described sounds of interest to you, pick it up for sure. If anything, you know, if you've ever been ghosted and, like, you know how annoying that is, at least you can resonate with Harriet. So Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm going to remind our listeners again that Katrina is a teacher and she's prepping for school. Hence the, oh, I have so much to do and I don't want to read this book. <laughs> I do want to school read starts. this book, but... And I don't know if you guys know this, but it's kind of a crazy world to be in right now in terms of being a student and or teacher. So it is props to Katrina for having to deal with all that. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about my book. 
Yes. Because okay. what'd you read? Who's it by? I want to know all about it. Okay, I read If I Loved You Less by Tamsin Parker, who apparently she writes a lot of romance novels. She's known for writing female-female romance novels, uh, male-female romance novels, and then male-male romance novels. So this being a quote-unquote queer retelling of Emma makes sense. And uh, as a queer person myself, that's why I wanted to read it. I was like, oh, cool. Also, like... There's, like, I've heard a lot of different people talk about, like, whether or not Emma could be a queer character or could be read as a queer character. Mm-hmm. Could she be bisexual? Could she be, could she actually be, like, aromantic or asexual and stuff like that? And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. It's an interesting read because I could totally see how you could kind of do that. Um, and actually, one of my favorite streamers, who's a big fan of Jane Austen, uh, she actually posed this question a little bit in one of her streams a while ago, where she was like, oh, I wonder if if Emma could be, at the very least, bisexual. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting, interesting idea. I mean, not gonna lie, especially like when Emma, in the original novel, when she like describes Harriet and things like that, you do, mm-hmm. you know, you can totally read it that way, for sure. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. So I, I I was just glad to see that another fan of Austin saw that as well. Yeah. And like kind of, yeah. And it was an interesting thing. So I was like, oh, I'll pick up this copy of a, you know, a queer retelling and then see see how it feels. So this book is Emma. Picked up, moved across the world and placed in Hawaii in 2013. Okay. Like, beat for beat, it's Emma. There's, like, the the dinner parties, the quote-unquote ball, the Mr. Elton situation, the secret engagement, all of that is in this book. But it's significantly shorter, which is a good sign. And that's because there isn't really, like, a long-winded Mrs. Bates character. <laughs> There is a Mrs. Bates character, but she's not nearly as long-winded. Uh, <laughs> but yes, so this is this is Emma. So if you like the original book, you will probably like this book. Yeah. Our Emma character is Theo. She is a 25-year-old girl who lives in Hanalei, which I believe is on Kauai. I know nothing about Hawaii, uh, so I don't know how accurate any of that part of it was but the way the island and island life and everything like that was described i think was really well done as somebody who's never been to hawaii it sounded gorgeous it sounded easy and laid back while also the the author brought up like how yeah paradise is nice but it's also really expensive and Mm -hmm. there's tourists Mm -hmm. everywhere and you know like living there is one thing and it's beautiful but there's still challenges you know I liked that aspect of it. That was nice. But Theo, she's 25. She lives at home with her dad. They also own a surf shop and they or Theo teaches lessons. Now, her dad like occasionally works the surf shop, but it seems like it's mostly just Theo who does it. And her dad, he feels a little bit like Mr. Woodhouse in the sense that he's really protective and he's really conscious of food. Okay. But there's also certain parts of him that it doesn't quite feel the same. 
like it was very clear that Mr. Wood, a lot of Mr. Woodhouse's stuff kind of comes from the fact that like his wife died and he's an older man and he's also kind of having the health problems and stuff like that. Whereas uh, Mr. Sullivan, because of, uh, their last name is Sullivan, Mr. Sullivan in this book, it, it, it kind of feels a little bit more like he's just, it's a bit of a worry wart and he wants to kind of control a little bit of what Emma does. So he's very strict about her diet. Okay. And uh, making sure that she doesn't eat sugar or wheat or anything like that. Um, but at the same time, there are certain parts of it. So he's really like, he really doesn't want her going out and doing a lot of big wave surfing and being very cautious in that sense, because Theo's mom was killed while surfing. Okay. Got it. But at the same time, Theo is a surf instructor <laughs> so for their surf shop. So it's kind of a little weird in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I kind of feel like, like, while the idea of the mother dying in big wave surfing feels really cliche Hawaii, I feel like if you're going to have Mr. Sullivan really not want his daughter to put herself in the same danger her mom did, then maybe it could have been a car accident. Because if you're going to have her be a surf instructor, I feel like that's kind of a little, like it's watering down his worry. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I don't want you to die surfing, but you're a surf instructor, so go ahead, you know? Yeah, I but I mean, that kind of relates to Mr. Woodhouse in a way like that, like controlling like, oh, what people eat, what other people should eat and like having opinions about that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and all of that developing later, you know, Mr. Woodhouse did feel contradictory at some point. So, you know, yeah. there could be that. Yeah. Well, so I want to bring this up right away at the beginning, because what we have in Emma is Emma listening to her dad and what he says and taking care of him. And like when he says, oh, I want gruel instead of eating this pork, while you all should have gruel you know, instead of the pork, Emma's like, yes, yes, dad, but we're not going to feed our guests gruel. Here's some gruel for you. This is what you want. That's cool. The rest of us are going to eat pork. And Emma is very conscious and aware of it. You know, mm -hmm. she takes care of her dad. She does what he asks to a certain point right. while still not like, she doesn't necessarily do it begrudgingly or anything like that. She's able to find this compromise. And it's very clear that Emma cares about her dad. Yeah. Not so much in this book. Okay. Like, Theo, it feels like she's really resentful about her dad being overprotective um, in certain ways, especially when it comes to food. So she's always like begrudgingly eating what he prepares for her and like sneaking sweets and everything like that. And it just doesn't feel like the same kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. So in the original text, we can see why Emma was a little bit afraid to leave her father because like somebody needed to take care of him. In this book, there's a little less of that. Right. Like, Theo feels like she's obligated to stay with her dad because he will worry, but it's less because he needs somebody there. Okay. You know. So, uh, I wanted to point that out because, like, there are certain parts about Emma we don't like. And in certain ways, she grows as a character. Maybe not as much as we would have liked, but she does grow. Yeah. Theo is really annoying. <laughs> and it's it, it's really hard for me to find the nice things about her that I enjoy. So like if she took care of her dad more and cared more about him and what he was trying to do, I feel like I might like her a little bit more. If she grew in some of the same ways that Emma tries to grow, I would probably like her a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't really do any of that. So fair warning. 
This is Emma without the growth and the love for Mr. Woodhouse. Oh, okay. Yeah. How did that impact your read then? It made it a lot harder for me to realize that Theo is 25 years old. Okay. Because the whole book, she feels like an older teenager. Mm -hmm. Like, I would just say 18 because, like, I kind of got the idea that she's a quote-unquote adult. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I first read her as, as as 18, and then she said she was going to a bar or to buy alcohol. So I'm like, oh, well, then she must be 21. And then later she's like, oh, I'm 25. And I'm like, bitch, no, you ain't. <laughs> <laughs> you do not act like a 25-year-old. Like, you're very immature, very whiny and kind of annoying. Um, <laughs> um, so that's the Emma character we have. So that so Theo is this person and she's going through all of the same beats and all of the same plots as Emma Woodhouse. So we have Theo Sullivan. She meets uh her version of Harriet, whose name is Laurel Kim. Okay. She's a mainlander who dropped out of school and went to Hawaii for a little while, thinking she could make it there on a few bucks in her savings account and turns out she can't because hawaii is really expensive yes but uh theo takes pity on her and hires at the hires her at the surf shop um because she's fresh blood and theo is just off the high of getting uh her former nanny charlotte hooked up with this guy named jim in town which is our mr and mrs weston okay so Theo's right off the high of their wedding. She's like, I'm going to hook Laurel up. She tries to hook Laurel up with this, like, you know, the town hottie. The Mr. Elton uh, of this The world. Mr. Elton, mm-hmm. um, whose name, in all honesty, I cannot even remember. It should tell <laughs> you how much I cared about him. That's how important he is, friends. <laughs> yeah. I want to say, nope, I don't, I don't even know. Give me a second. Brock. Sorry. Okay. okay. She, she tries to hook her up. She tries to hook Laurel up with Brock, which should tell you everything that you need to know about the guy because his name is Brock. Yeah. And I don't mean in like the cute, huggable Brock from Pokemon kind of way. He's like full on, like his name could have been like Chad. Well, Brock you know? rhymes with Jock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. So Theo tries to hook uh, Laurel up with Brock and then after a party it's very much like the clueless uh thing where it's like okay well Brock and Laurel you guys should walk that way together so you can get home and I'll go with this person um and we'll go this way to get back to my house and Brock is like no that's stupid I walk past your house why don't we just walk together and then Laurel and this other person can walk and it's no big deal and no 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 Laurel and Brock you really should go and it's just that whole flippy floppy sure except they're not in a car they're walking right. uh and there's no stolen snowman <laughs> uh, <laughs> but essentially it all plays out a lot like clueless where while Theo and Brock are walking Brock starts hitting on Theo and Theo's like, dude, I'm not even into guys. Like, what the hell? Yeah. And he's like, well, I don't know. I just just getting vibes, blah, blah, blah. Because, you know, because even if you say you're not into men. It's like a challenge. It's like a challenge. Yeah. Actually, I believe he even says, well, I just thought you maybe like haven't been with the right one. (laughs) And Theo's like, okay, well, on one hand. So let me let me start. Let me add this here. Theo is, she calls herself queer because she feels like lesbian is too rigid because 
while she says multiple times, I'm into women, she hasn't completely said that she's not into men. And she's kind of like that. She's like, I just haven't met a guy that I've been like, oh my gosh, I really want to like, you know, do this, like be with this guy. But she knows she's into women and she's leaning more towards women. Um, to, to the point where she's like, I thought about lesbian as my, you know, as, as what I am, but queer feel, fe- feels more comfortable. And Brock pretty much like <sighs> takes full advantage of that by, you know, saying, well, maybe you just haven't been with the right guy. And she's like, no, dude, it's not that I haven't been with the right guy. Even if I had been with the right guy, even if I was straight, I wouldn't be into you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the whole thing. Uh, Brock goes to Vegas. Mary's Paris Hilton. Stop it. Um, like, it's pretty much. Paris Hilton? No. Oh. <laughs> she's, she is a, it's like she Paris is a hotel heiress. Okay, so she's who Paris Hilton. the audiobook person <laughs> gives her a Paris Hilton voice, and it's fabulous. Um, <laughs> but she is a hotel heiress who now is moving to Hanalei because her daddy is going to build a big old resort. Oh. So, yeah, and uh, Theo actually calls her Paris Hilton at one point in the book. But yeah, so he goes off and gets married to that crazy, crazy person, crazy bitch. Um, Not that Paris Hilton is a no. crazy bitch, but this person is a yes. crazy bitch. <laughs> I was going to say, is it like, per- you mean Paris Hilton's fake voice? Because even Paris Hilton's voice that you've come oh, yeah. to learn is not her real voice. Yeah, it's it's okay. a it's it's a parody of Paris It's a parody. Okay, got it. Cool. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Then, of course, we have the Frank Churchill character. Who is Jim's son, and his name is Austin, and Austin lives on the mainland with his mom and his stepdad, which makes sense. Yeah. You know, there's been a divorce instead mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. an uncle raising him kind of situation, sure. so this makes sense. Um, there's a lot of tension because, like, the mother is really controlling, so she won't let him go to Hawaii to visit his dad, blah, 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 blah. But... Austin is also 25 and does eventually come to visit. Okay. Now, while Theo says that she is into women pretty regularly, I'm going to keep mentioning that over and over and over and over and over again, this book says Theo is into women. We don't ever see her really being into women. But I was going to ask, like, is our knightly character a woman then? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I'll get to that. Okay. But this book definitely suffers a lot from um, Tell Don't Show. Okay. <laughs> so. Much kind of like, like the, the original, original Emma. Emma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It does. A lot of Tell Don't Show. And it's it's and I, it, it, the same flaws that we have with the Emma Knightley relationship we have in this book as well. Because okay. it is pretty much the same story. Yeah. But while Emma says that she's into women when she meets Austin, she then spends a good chunk of the book pretty much convincing herself that she's in love with him. Okay. So it comes from like birth to five years old. They were friends and like their dads were always like, oh, they're going to be together. You know, like you do with kids, quote unquote. And she's like, oh, well, he was always going to be my backup, blah, blah, blah. And she's kind of had this like weird fantasy about him sitting in his in her head, considering the fact that he's been gone for so long and everything like that. So when he finally comes back, like she's flirting with him. And at first she's like, I'm just going to flirt and it's going to be no harm, no foul. And fine. Cool. Whatever. No big deal. Yeah. So she flirts. He flirts back. And then when he leaves, much like in the original text, Theo pretty much convinces herself that she's in love with him. 
because she's like, oh, I'm feeling weird, but it's not a feeling I've had before. So it must be luck. And she's like, yeah, that makes sense. Because even though I'm into women, like, I, I think I'm still in love with him. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, whatever. And that's exactly how I felt with Emma. Like, okay, cool, whatever. But yeah, then he comes back. They have, like, the dance moments, everything like that. She realizes, ah, maybe I'm not really that into him. She thinks hair, or, um, she thinks Laurel is into him, everything like that. Um... Turns out Austin is engaged to Jessica. Jessica is our Jane Fairfax. Okay. She is the same age as Theo. Uh, she comes back to she comes back to Hawaii because her aunt, who is Mrs. Bates, essentially, um, broke her leg and she's there to help her. Okay. Now Everybody thinks Jessica is perfect because she's smart and everything like that. She's in a PhD program and she seems all cold to to Theo and everything like that. It's essentially Jane Fairfax to the point where, you know, in the original text, Frank Churchill sends her sends Jane a piano. Yes. In this one, it's it's a really fancy piece of scientific equipment. Okay. Like to the point where like. I don't know where Austin would have purchased one or if these things are ever sent to a place that isn't a science lab. Or where he would have the money. Is he like really insanely oh, so rich? Is he also a hotel heir? No, <laughs> but his stepfather does have a lot of money. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like a giant centrifuge. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so he sends her, like, this big piece of scientific equipment that you would find in a science lab. And it just seems, like, out of nowhere, like, there's, yeah, I don't understand why anybody would want one in their house. <laughs> right. So it just seems really weird, and, like the, like, the author was really trying to find some sort of financial significant replacement for a piano. Okay. Because Jessica is like a scientist kind of person. She's not a musician. And it just felt really forced. And it was weird. Okay. Yeah. So Austin does that. And then like, I don't know. It, it follows the rest of Emma pretty closely, as you can imagine. So there is a Box Hill situation where a whole group of them drive to the west side of the islands and... Theo gets really snappy with the Mrs. Bates character or the Miss Bates character and the uh, the knightly character scolds her, essentially. So. Right, so I need to know about this knightly character. I was just going to get into I'm that. I'm ready. Now that I've gone through the whole plot, let's actually talk about these characters. So the knightly character is Kinney. She, yes, I say she, is 14 years older than Theo. She has known Theo since the day she was born and been in her life the whole time. Uh, she is the owner of a bakery and apparently really, really good at pastries to the point where half of this book is about food. And I'm, why do I keep picking up the books that are about food? I don't know, but everything sounds amazing and delicious. Um, 
And that's also part of like the setting in Hawaii because they're always talking about like fruit and just like the food just sounds amazing. Yeah. But anyway, back to uh, Kinney. So Kinney, uh, she has this bakery that Theo goes to pretty regularly. Um, When Theo's there, she can kind of just like, you know, walk behind the counter and get a cupcake and stuff like that. It's it's it feels like a little bit more of a comfortable relationship between the two characters than in the original Emma. But that's because the original Emma takes place in the Regency era uh, between a woman and a man. So Kinney. She's 39. Yes. She's described as having gray hair. Okay. Big powerful arms. I mean, you can have gray hair at thirty nine. Totally. I'm, I have gray hair at thirty three, but that's not the point. I'm just <laughs> trying to give you a visual. She yeah. is native Hawaiian. Okay. Whereas Theo is her dad is from the mainland. Okay. Um, so she is not native Hawaiian. Um. The the bakery is called Queens, and it is or it also employs. A, a young man named Bobby, who Laurel has a crush on, and Theo says she can't date because he's not going anywhere. So he's Mr. Martin. He is Mr. Martin. I think his name is Robert. I think his name is Bobby Martin, too, okay. or something like that. <laughs> there you go. I mean, not a far cry. Because he mm-hmm. was Robert Martin and Emma, if I remember right, right? Yeah, it's Robert Martin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, Kinney does not seem to have the same kind of relationship that Knightley had with Mr. Woodhouse. Um, with uh, Mr. Sullivan. They know each other. Apparently, they sometimes play cards together. Like, there's a group of people that come together to, at the Sullivan's house to play cards. But that's really the only interaction we see between Kinney and uh, Mr. Sullivan. Okay. Kinney's brother, however, is married to Theo's older sister. And they have children together. We don't really see them as much as they're just kind of talked about. Mm-hmm. Because... Uh, Theo and Kinney talk about uh, their nieces and nephews, the Kiki. Um, but that's about it. So that's kind of how, like, Kinney really, like, knows Mr. Sullivan and stuff like that. But we don't see a lot of interaction between them like we do with Mr. Knightley. And uh, it it's kind of hinted a little bit that she's more friends with Charlotte, who is um, Mrs. Weston. Okay. Uh, is Who used to be um theo's nanny but even that relationship isn't really fleshed out the only relationship we really see kenny having is her relationship with theo which feels more like a motherly kind of relationship than i think it should have okay like we all know that I have the an issue with Mr. Knightley being so much older than Emma in the original text and how it felt like a little bit of grooming mm-hmm. um or in my head when I see that big kind of age gap and the fact that you know he knew her since she was a baby it screams grooming to me. Mr. Knightley doesn't really have like he doesn't manipulate Emma in certain ways or take advantage of her so I wouldn't say Mr. Knightley was grooming her. Um but we all know that 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 makes me feel uncomfortable and i'm not gonna lie the the relationship or the i'm not gonna lie the age difference in this book really rubbed me the wrong way as well okay and that was more because keeney really felt more like a motherly figure to theo than even a friend yeah yeah like she was always taking care of her she was giving her advice she was like feeding her and kind of like I don't know. She just came off as really motherly. And 
like her demeanor and everything like that just felt more like an older motherly figure than somebody who would be a romantic interest or even just a really good friend. Okay. And it really rubbed me the wrong way, especially because the book kept bringing up the fact that Kini has known Theo since she was an infant over and over and over again, like more so than the original book. It's just like constant. It's like, I knew you when you were an infant, when you were a baby, we would do this and stuff like that. And it's just like, okay, can you stop? (laughs) (laughs) And then on top of that, we have the same problem we had in the original text, which is that the romance just seems to come out of nowhere. Like Theo doesn't see Kinney in a romantic way until um, Laurel decides that Laurel might have a crush on her. Then Kini's like, oh, wait, no. Ke- er, sorry. Then Theo's like, oh, wait, no. Kini can't be with anybody other than me. I-, I love her. And it just seems to come out of nowhere. Okay. And then Kini and Theo have a conversation. And again, Kini's whole, if I loved you less conversation, which is essentially, she says that, if I loved you less, I'd be able to talk about it more. It feels really out of nowhere. Yeah. Because they're doesn't seem to be that kind of like romantic love coming from Kini anywhere else in the book. It all reads as like a motherly love, not a romantic love. Hmm. And also before Kini expresses her love for Theo and after Theo realizes that she's in love with Kini, but before Kini tells her she's in love with Theo, Theo, like, masturbates to the idea of Kini, and it feels really weird and just out of nowhere. Because <laughs> while this book doesn't, str- like, it doesn't shy away from, like, saying things like, oh, Brock and his new wife were totally boning the crap out of each other. Or, oh, I have random sexual encounters with tourists. Like, that stuff is in there. So, like, having masturbation be in there isn't that far-flung of an right. idea. It's like steamy it's just, romance. Well, it's not even... It, it's it's mildly hot. Oh, okay. It's just that she says that she's going to do it. and she. I think the only thing you get is that she puts her hand in, down the shorts she wore to sleep in. Okay. I think is what the line is or something like that. So I wouldn't even call it that steamy. But the point is, is that she's all of a sudden, like, masturbating to the idea of Kini, and it just feels like it came out of nowhere. Yeah. And, yeah. So on top of the weird motherly kind of relationship and this huge age difference, which again, like it's a modern retelling, modern times, that's a big age difference. They're in two different places in their life. And Kini has known her since she was an infant and has been an important part of her life since she was an infant. Feels weird. And it made me uncomfortable. <laughs> now. Given that uncomfortableness that I felt with the the OTP relationship of this book. So between that and the whole issue with Tell Don't Show in terms of Theo's sexuality and the fact that through a good chunk of this book, Theo is like playing with the idea that she's in love with a guy. I really did not feel like this was a queer romance novel. Hmm. Okay. 
like at the end of the book yes we have a female female relationship that happens but i didn't feel the romance at all whatsoever and i felt a little bit like like theo is a queer character who throughout most of the novel is being written as a straight character and that's because we see her flirting with a guy but and we're told that she likes men but we don't or sorry we're told that she likes women but we don't ever see her flirting with a woman even when she gets to the point where she realizes she's in love with a woman we don't see the romance Mm -hmm. it's just all of a sudden a sexual thing and i don't know i just didn't feel it and like i understand that theo says flat out that she's queer because she feels like lesbian is too rigid a label because she doesn't feel like she wants to completely like rule out men like i feel that i get that that's a little bit like my own sexuality i can like i say i'm bisexual but i feel like i am for me i feel like queer is better for me because it's like i'm either bi or i'm pan you know it's easier to say that i'm bisexual but queer feels a lot more comfortable for me because it's, it's like i don't to know if I'm, how you feel about yourself yeah because it's yeah. like i don't know if i'm bi i don't know if i'm pan um, whereas Theo feels like she doesn't know if she's lesbian or she doesn't know if she's bisexual. Okay. And that's fine. I get you, girl. I get it. But in terms of this book and being a queer romance, I feel like we needed to see more of queer romance. <laughs> yeah. Or at least her struggle with that or her coming to terms with that or her like learning about herself in those contexts because, yeah, she says she's into women but yet she finds herself having a crush on her on a man like does she ever say like she could be bisexual or she could be like she a- does because okay, okay, that's okay. that's the whole right, thing then. with this whole okay. li- like queer label but for me it's like if you're gonna sell me a a female female romance or female female queer romance i don't want to be reading the book through the whole way and having her only flirt with a guy yeah and not even really flirting with the person she's going to end up with at the end. Right. Who happens to be a woman. Like, they bring up that, like, she has these one night stands and these meaningless sex with these tourists and stuff. At the very least, you could have had a scene where she's just randomly flirting with a female tourist. Yeah. You know? And then maybe randomly flirting with a male tourist. Like, like just give me something that isn't just her only flirting with Austin and then masturbating and then, like, confessing her love to Keeney. Sure. Like, that's all you get. It doesn't feel like a queer romance. So, it doesn't feel... So really, is like... It also doesn't feel like a romance. <laughs> so really, what it sounds like to me is, like, maybe it should have been less, like, trying to make this book an exact retelling of Emma and more just, like, take the flavor of it, but... Mm-hmm. Make it its own story so that these characters who are, like, rich and clearly complicated and, like, clearly have things going on in their lives, like, make that the forefront. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this this story could have been better if it wasn't shoved into the Emma plotline so much. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And not even just really the is. plot line, because it can follow the events, but it doesn't have to be verbatim, 
Right. And it, it really is. A lot of this book feels very verbatim to the point where some of the lines, I think, are the same. Yeah. And, and I'm mean, not even just talking about the if I loved you less line. There's something that Brock says that I'm like, that sounded like something Elton actually said. And I feel like for like characters like that, that's probably totally okay. But like make your title characters more, give them their own thing. Sure. Okay, yeah. if you want it to be a retelling, okay, your secondary characters can be living that life, but give your primary characters their own spin so that it's so it's true to like what your book is trying to be about. Yeah. Right? Cuz if this is supposed to be a queer romance novel, it's it doesn't read it that doesn't way. feel like it. Sure. And it almost doesn't feel like a romance novel. It really doesn't. Well, and that's the problem Emma we have with Emma. a romance novel. Exactly. <laughs> that's my problem. That's my problem with this book is that it doesn't feel like a romance novel. Okay. Now, what I like about the book is I like how it's written. I like the diversity of it. Yeah. I like that there are queer characters. I like that it's just not assumed that people are attracted to somebody of the opposite sex. I like that. I think they do that really well. They set... Um, Tamsin Parker sets the story up to be a good queer romance novel. It's just not followed through. Because There's it's trying romance. too hard to be Emma, probably. It's trying too hard and to like, be Emma. And like, if you're trying hard to be Emma, you have Regency era rules that you're going to follow that are not going to be reflective of all those wonderful right. things you just said. Right. And also, if you if you're trying to put together a romance novel and you're following Emma... You're not going to end up with a romance novel because Emma is not a yeah, romance that novel. Too. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. So, yeah. but the book overall, I think it's a good read. It can be a fun read. Uh, if you really enjoy Emma, you'll probably really enjoy this. And again, she paints the life in the small Hawaiian town really well. Yeah. I think she just tried to stick to Emma too much. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it hurts heard it overall it, I'm, that's the great thing about emma though is like austin painted small town mm -hmm. english life of the time very well so maybe maybe take this one out of the queer romance category <laughs> and put it into like the queer still life commentary <laughs> of modern life category yeah because yeah, if you that did that then probably like everything you're describing would still work because <laughs> modern life does have those complications you know you're taking the pressure off of the fact that it's queer romance and you're putting it more on modern life so that mm -hmm. maybe you can necessarily get away without having like completely fully developed main characters and their I, like process yeah. and development. I do feel like the one thing that would still need to be smoothed out a little better is the sudden shift um, confession of love from mm -hmm, Kinney. Mm -hmm. And I think that the best way to do that would probably have been to make Kinney less of like this secure figure in Theo's life that has been there since she was born and everything like that and has been in her life constantly and kind of had her be more of a secondary character while Theo was growing up. So like have her be Charlotte's friend who was around occasionally because Charlotte was Theo's nanny. Yeah. And then after Theo got older, she started going to Queens and because they had, or yeah, because they had that previous relationship, they then built this new friendship from that. And you wouldn't even have to show that in the novel. That could be pre-established. Yeah, that could be explained very easily. Yeah, you could just be like, oh, she was my nanny's best friend. And, you know, since I went, started working at the surf shop, I would come here for lunch. And now, you know, we've we developed got a friendship. great friendship. And, yeah. yeah, 
Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And then it would then it would feel less like a motherly daughterly relationship. Mm-hmm. That could have that could easily clear that up. So, yeah, but sadly that wasn't the case. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I do still recommend this book for people who like yeah. Emma, and I think that it is you know it's it's well written and everything. So nice. yeah. Awesome. Um, I will also say that if you uh, want another well thought out opinion and review of this book, check out uh, Smart Bitches Trashy Books. They reviewed this. They gave it a C minus, I believe. Okay. And they have some really good critique of it as well. Uh, uh, was, is it aligned to what you were thinking? Yeah. Okay. I, I agree with a lot of what they were saying. But yeah. Okay. So yeah. Cool. Good to know. Yeah. That's all I have. Yeah, no, totally. That's, <laughs> That's all I have. That's great. Yeah. Well, I mean, on that note, everyone, we're going to wrap up our Emma season. We are. Yay. We're finally going to be done with Emma. <laughs> um, We're not going to tell you what we're going to do next, though, unless, unless you happened to have watched our Instagram live from a few weeks ago where we announced the winner of our giveaway. We did give a little preview slash just flat out told you guys what we're reading next. Um, but if you didn't catch that and you don't want to go and watch it, uh, shame. But also no we shame. will be coming out. You'll be surprised. <laughs> if you don't watch the video, you don't get to see Katrina as a goblin. It's so true. I mean, come on. You don't. <laughs> I guess that's all the reason to watch it. <laughs> but anyway, we will be releasing our trailer for our next season in a couple of weeks and the trailer will consist of me telling katrina what the next book is about even though i haven't read it and i have (laughs) (laughs) which really should have been the whole like basis for this entire podcast Yeah, but you read i had read pride and prejudice and and neither one of us had read emma so i think we were okay but yeah Yeah. it worked for emma and it's gonna work for everything else yeah yeah for for the rest of um Katrina has read the book and I haven't, so it'll be a little bit of a new dynamic. Mm-hmm. So while this is the end of Emma and we will be starting our next Jane Austen book and we will be dropping the trailer soon, there is going to be a little bit of time um, for us to kind of settle into that. I believe our first episode of the next Jane Austen novel will be September 22nd. Um, but just keep an eye out on our socials uh, for more information about that and keep an eye out for our trailer coming soon. Yep. And that's all for us. Until next time, friends. Thanks for listening. Bye. Beyond Measure is hosted by me, Katrina Mayer, and me, Elle Kammerer. We're part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Our music was composed by Shane Ivers, and our artwork was created by the beautiful and talented Katie Keneally. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can find us on our website at witbeyondmeasure.com. Or follow us on Instagram for all of our updates, memes, and just fun stuff. Our handle is at WBMPodcast. I'm going to say that again. It's WBMPodcast.